0: Hi there, my name is Philip Patterson, and I lead a movement called Foster the Bay. Foster the Bay is a coalition of Bay Area churches that care deeply for vulnerable children in foster care right here in our communities, and I'm stoked to have a few minutes to share with you today about the incredible work that God is calling you and me to be a part of. Uh, maybe the best way that I can do that is if I just begin with a story. Uh, let me tell you about a beautiful little girl. Um, within hours of this little girl being born, she was removed from a pretty heartbreaking situation, and she was uh, placed into foster care. Uh, By the time she was three months old, she'd already been cared for by four different moms. Now we know that statistics tell us that the outlook on this little girls' future is probably pretty bleak. We know that 71% of girls that age out of foster care will be pregnant by the time they're 21. Um, Half will be unemployed in their 20s, a third will be on the streets, half will have a substance addiction, more than half will have PTSD. In fact, you're twice as likely to develop PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's experienced combat. of all that these kids have gone through so i could just keep going but here's my point like uh, this little girl has a world of statistics fighting against her Um, my wife and i heard about her story a few years ago and we talked together and prayed together and we thought man if there's anything we can do to help this little girl's story not end like this uh, we want to help and so we decided to bring this little girl into our home and for the last Uh, three plus years over a thousand days uh, we've been caring for this precious little girl she's been in our home and God willing soon we'll be moving from being her foster family to her forever family now let me tell you why I share that story like this little girl is one of about 6,000 kids in foster care in the Bay Area today and every one of these kids has a name and every one of these kids has a story and every one of their stories matter to God and because their stories matter to God their stories matter to us right Let me tell you about a couple other kids. Let me tell you about a a set of twins, a brother and a sister. Um, Just like our little girl, just after they were born, they were removed from their biological family. Uh, The little girl went to go live with the family in the city. The little boy was placed with the family in the country. Uh, They both grew up and actually did really, really well. They they, they just grew up with big hearts for what was going on around them. Uh, The little girl uh, just decided she was going to go into public service. She went into politics. The little boy grew up and 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 he decided to go into the military service and he did really well actually he became a hero i guarantee you've heard of him Uh, this little boy became a hero though not simply because he you know saved his unit saved some soldiers or even because he saved his country this little boy became a hero because he went on to save the universe this of course happened uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away now if uh, i can't see you right now as you're listening to me talk um, so I can't tell if you just rolled your eyes at me, or if you're still staring confused at the screen. But let me tell you, if you're not tracking with me, I, of course, just described to you the plotline of Star Wars. That's the story of Luke and Leia Skywalker. My buddy, Chris Kendaya recently told that story in a TED talk that he did on foster care and adoption. And he said, you know, it's really fascinating when you think about it, that Luke and Leia aren't alone in the film industry. It's amazing when you think about it, how many of our favorite characters from some of our favorite stories have very similar backgrounds as Luke and as Leia. I think about it. Spider-Man was adopted by his aunt. Uh, Superman was adopted. Uh, James Bond. Did you know James Bond was adopted? Um, uh, Batman, right? Uh, We don't know for sure the legal precedent of this, but Batman was brought up by his butler, and apparently that was okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. I could just keep going, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? The kids from Lemony Snicket, the kids from the Chronicles of Narnia, right? The Pevensey kids were fostered during the war. Uh, Eleven from Stranger Things. Uh, Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter was fostered by the Dursleys. Now, the Dursleys aren't shining examples of foster parents, uh, but nevertheless, Harry Potter was fostered. It seems as if filmmakers and storytellers have discovered something really, really important, right? That kids who grow up with difficult, heartbreaking traumatic experiences that they are not without hope for their future in fact they have the capacity they have the potential to become something pretty incredible that somebody's history doesn't necessarily determine their destiny and what i find so fascinating about that is like that's not just the makings of a good plot line that's not just the ingredients for a good story like that truth is at the very heart of what we believe as followers of jesus That although things seem to be broken and falling apart all around us, there is still hope for healing and for wholeness. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a passage of scripture with you where Jesus is going to tell us the very same thing. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He reads this. He says, He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so there are three things that Jesus tells, here, tells us here that I want to point out. First, Jesus says that we live in a world in need of salt and light. Secondly, he tells us how the world is going to experience this salt and light. And then third and finally, he tells us what the impact of this salt and light will be. Um, So I want to take these things one at a time. All right, so the first thing Jesus says here is we live in a world that needs salt and light. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, over and over again in the scriptures, Jesus tells us that we live in a world in need of his light. And without that, we're walking in darkness. Let me tell you what I think he means. Let me tell you about a guy named... Ernest Shackleton. Okay, so Ernest Shackleton was a famous British explorer who back in the day got famously stranded in Antarctica for months. And he was said that out of all the difficulties, all the hardships, all the challenges that he faced when he was stranded, um, including starvation, including freezing temperatures, the hardest thing that he faced was the darkness. Because in the South Pole, the sun goes down in May and doesn't come back up until July. And so for months, he was living in this utter, complete, can't see the hand in front of your face, pitch black darkness. And he said, in, in darkness like that, a, a man can go mad. Think about it. Like you you can't see a, a ahead of you anymore. You can't see in front of you, so you very quickly lose any sense of direction. You, you can't see what's standing right next to you, so you very quickly lose any sense of security. Can you imagine? He said, you can't even see the hand in front of your face. You, you can't see yourself. He said, it's almost as if you begin to forget what you look like. You begin to lose your sense of identity. So follow me. No sense of direction. No sense of security. No sense of identity. Like, I think that this is what Jesus might be telling us. This is what what might be true of us in our spiritual condition when we're living apart from his light, when we're living in darkness. I know that this has been true for me at certain times in my life. I've been living in darkness. And I don't know you, but I'm pretty confident that this has been true for you as well. In fact, I think for some of you listening today, it's true of you today. Now, if you're listening today and maybe you're just exploring all of this, right? You're just trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what this is all about. I understand that what I just said to you might come across a little bit offensive, right? I don't know you, I don't know your story, and yet um, I have the audacity to tell you that you're, you're walking in darkness, living in darkness and you're desperate for some kind of light to break through your life. Listen, I understand that that can come across a little bit offensive, um, but I think that if we're all honest with ourselves, well, uh, we all understand, at least to some degree, that this is true. I'll, I'll even give you one small example of why I think we all get this to some degree. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this in his book, King's Cross. He says, th- he says, think about the stories that we continue to tell generation after generation. Why is it that every generation tells the same story about, like, a damsel in distress, right, locked away in some tall tower in some dark castle, enslaved by some, you know, evil dragon or something, and then then when all hope seems lost, everything's dark, all hope is gone, in comes riding this knight in shining armor and, and does battle against the evil one and then rescues this damsel in distress, and together they ride off into the sunrise happily ever after. Like, why is it that we tell that story generation after generation? Like that, we realize that is the story of Jesus. Think about how often we tell the same story and we just repackage it in in, in, in a different way. Sleeping beauty, right? Sleeping beauty reminds us that death need not be the end. That one day a prince will come and do battle against the evil one and will come and kiss us and wake us up out of our sleep. Cinderella. Right? Cinderella reminds us that one day a prince is going to come and, and, and rescue us from our life of oppression and, and will come and marry us and make us royalty. Beauty and the Beast. Listen, maybe one day a beauty will come and we'll see past all of our mistakes and see past all of our ugliness and all of our beastliness. And maybe, just maybe, their love will be so strong and so powerful that it'll actually turn us into something beautiful, turn us into something glorious. Peter Pan, maybe one day somebody will come and fly away with us to a land where we'll never grow old. Like I could just keep going uh, all day, right? One of my favorites is the Lion King. Uh, what, what does the Lion King tell us? The Lion King tells us that when the rightful king is sitting on the throne, that all is well. That, that the land will live in peace and harmony and light but when the evil one comes and takes the throne, everything falls apart and everything goes dark and everything goes desolate. In fact, I think it's so fascinating, in the original animated uh, Lion King, uh, the illustrators actually illustrated that the scenes when, when Scar, the evil one, is sitting on the throne as actually dark and desolate. Do you remember that? The light was gone, it was all desolate. But do you know what else the Lion King tells us? The Lion King also tells us that one day the son of the king is coming back. And when he does, he's gonna do battle against the evil one. And he's gonna take back the throne that rightfully belongs to him. And once again, the the rain will come and wash away the desolation. The sun is gonna break through the clouds and the land will again live in peace and harmony and light. Think about how often we repackage the same story, the same theme over and over and over again, and then spend $27 per ticket to go see that same story in the theater. Could it be that we so resonate with this theme because we know that ultimately this is what we need? It's what we most desperately desire. So listen, when my three-year-old little girl, that little girl that I shared with you about a a few minutes ago, when my three-year-old little girl comes to me one day and says, Daddy, Daddy, I wish that there was a real prince. I wish there was a a real prince that would come and make me a princess. I wish there was a real knight in shining armor who would whisk me away and together we'd ride off into the sunrise. I wish that there was a a, a real beauty. I wish there was somebody real who would grab me by the hand and take me away to a land where I'd never grow old. I wish there was a real Superman who would come from some other world with power to fight evil. You know what I can tell her? I can say, oh baby, these stories are true. (laughs) The stories are true. There is a real prince. There is a real knight in shining armor. There is a real beauty that will see past all of our mistakes and love us right where we are, and His love is so strong it's going to turn us into something beautiful. The stories are true. There is a knight in shining armor. There is a light breaking through the darkness, and His name is Jesus. He is the light of the world. That's the first thing that Jesus tells us here. The second thing that He tells us is this. He tells us how the world is going to experience this light. Here in verse 14, again, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you're paying any attention at all, that might be a little bit confusing because I literally just said, Jesus is the light of the world. And then Jesus here in verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. So which is it? Well, if you keep reading, it's actually pretty clear what he means. Because Jesus tells us what kind of light we actually are. He doesn't compare us you know, to something like the sun, like the stars, things that have essence or uh, or light in and of their own essence. Uh, he, He tells us that we are like lanterns. We're like lamps. And we know, of course, that lanterns don't produce light in and of themselves. Lanterns hold light. In the same way, you and I become the light of the world only when Jesus first lights us up. We become the light of the world when he lights us up. And we've seen from the very earliest days of of, of the church what this can look like. In fact, uh, 2,000 years ago, after Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead and he ascended back into heaven, history tells us that the earliest followers of Jesus uh, were all huddled together in an upstairs room. They were terrified, uh, so fearful about what might happen to them in light of the fact that they were following Jesus. They were scared about what persecution might come their way. And so they're all huddled together in this upstairs room and they're praying together. And we're told that as they were praying, uh, the Holy Spirit descends on them in this really powerful, dynamic, profound way. It's almost as if these tongues of fire are coming down and resting on each one of the disciples. And, And when that happens, they're each lit up. We're told that their fear just like melts away. And they're given this new passion and this new purpose. And so we're told what happens is they actually go and they unlock the doors. They go down the stairs, out into the streets, and they start sharing the message of Jesus with anybody who will listen. And they start loving their neighbors in these unprecedented ways. And then Jerusalem is lit up. And then Judea is lit up. And Sumeria is lit up. And the world has never been the same. The way in which God has chosen to advance his light into this world is through men and women and children like you and me. God wants to bring light into the Bay Area. And he wants to do it through you. And he wants to do it through me. He also says that you are the salt of the earth. I haven't even touched on that yet. Let me tell you what I think he meant by that. You see, salt was primarily used as a preservative in Jesus' day. Right? So they didn't have refrigeration back then, there were no freezers. So if you had a big slab of meat and you didn't want the thing to immediately go bad, um, you would douse the thing with salt and it, and it would keep it from, from breaking down. So follow me. You put salt into that which ordinarily breaks down and it keeps it from decay. So here's what I think Jesus is saying. When your world is falling apart, when your, when your world was breaking down, when you were in decay, I didn't keep my distance from you. I didn't run from your brokenness, I ran into your brokenness. And I brought healing and I brought wholeness and I brought hope and now I want you to do the same thing. I want you to find things that are breaking down and I don't want you to run from them, I want you to run into it. When Christians see things that are falling apart, we don't run, we go in. When we see systems that are broken, we don't run from them, we go in. When we see people that are falling apart emotionally, we don't run from them, we go in. When we see we see neighborhoods falling apart socially, economically, we don't just take flight to the next neighborhood, we go in. That's what we do. We're salt. We find things that are breaking down, and we bring healing, and we bring wholeness, and we bring hope. And for the last 2,000 years, we've seen what this can look like through the church. Um, There are countless examples if you look throughout history of the way that that Christians have gone into places and systems of brokenness and injustice and brought healing and brought wholeness and brought hope. Uh, If you look at education reform, prison reform, women's rights, abolition of slavery, civil rights, the very idea of hospitals themselves, they all trace their roots back to followers of Jesus. And the same is true with adoption and foster care. We have historical records of how early followers of Jesus engaged these vulnerable children you know in the ancient Greco-Roman world it was not uncommon for uh for for babies to be disposed of if they were unwanted you know maybe the 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 kid looked sick maybe the, the child looked frail maybe the child wasn't the preferred gender of the day if for whatever reason the child wasn't wanted it was not uncommon in that time for them to simply be disposed of they would take these kids outside of the city to these designated places, these trash heaps, or even sometimes just leave these kids on the side of the road outside the city. Uh, But we also have historical records of early followers of Jesus that would actually, at late at night, go out and walk these streets up and down and they would listen for the cries of babies. They would listen for the cries of these children and when they found them, they would rescue them, they would bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Friends, listen, we don't need to go out late at night and listen for the sound of children to find them. The state of California has told us where to find them. In fact, Foster the Bay was launched based on an invitation from government agencies right here in the Bay Area saying, we need help from the church. About five years ago or so, I sat down with some social workers here in the Bay Area and they said, Philip, we are uh, in an emergency crisis right now. There are more children entering into foster care today than we have homes that are ready for them. They said, these are kids who have been abused and are neglected and they're coming into foster care and we desperately need loving, stable homes. They said, do you think that there are churches in the Bay Area that we want to partner with us to help provide love and care for these children? Friends, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way that the Bay Area Church has responded to that invitation. We started this thing called Foster the Bay. It's this coalition of churches. And the the, the church after church after church, after they've heard that invitation, said, yes, we're in. We'll help. We're we're gonna help raise up foster families and support friends until there are more than enough families to meet the need. In fact, today, a few years later, we have over 100 churches up and down the Bay Area that have linked arms together, saying, um, we're we're gonna make this change. We're we're going to change this crisis. We want to see a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of children in need of a home. You know, it's been so cool to to watch and to be a part of and we've seen some incredible movement and progress. But friends, there is so much work to be done. I want to share with you a story of a former foster youth. Her name is Cassie. I want to invite you to to listen to her story. But listen, the story that she's about to share uh, is a little bit intense. It's a little bit graphic. Her story is not for the faint of heart. If you're watching this today and you've got maybe some little kids in the living room with you, some, some, some young ears, I would do want to let you know this might be a good opportunity maybe to go send them to go grab a toy or to go get a, a drink of water for the next couple of minutes because this story is a little bit intense. But listen, I think that you and I need to not shy away from stories like this. It's important for us as Christians to be salt and light for us not to run from broken and hard stories like this, but we enter into stories like this. So I want to invite you to listen to the story of Cassie and the way that a, that a, a loving foster family can have an impact on the life of a child.
1: My name is Cassie and my life was changed when I was adopted through foster care. My life growing up was filled with chaos. Before 11 years old I experienced physical and verbal and sexual abuse. Men were constantly coming in and out of the house. Um, I felt like I didn't really get enough sleep at night because I often woke up to hands exploring my body and as a young girl it was all that I knew and I thought that everyone experienced things like that and so it was normal and to not talk about it. um, I was threatened multiple times There were a few instances that led up to me being removed from my birth family, and the big one that set it over was the night that my mom lost control. She abused me to the point where I had bruises on my body and welt marks on my body for days, and it was painful, I couldn't sit or sleep, and about two nights after my abuse, I had went to the ER for an ear Checkup because my ear was having problems. The nurse was putting the medical band on my wrist and she saw the bruises on my arms and my face. And next thing you know, CPS was at my door um, coming in and taking photos of my body. My first night in foster care was scary. Um, That was the first night that I knew that change is very possible and that it can happen very suddenly. I was told that I needed to sleep in my own room and so I was put in bed in my own room and had snuck into my siblings room and slept with my brothers and I got in trouble the next morning for sleeping with my brothers and that was really confusing for me because that's the only thing that I knew is comfort. It's the only thing I knew as normal. I went through about four or five different temporary placement homes, and those were homes where I went a few days to a few weeks in the home. And in about my fifth or sixth home, I was placed into a permanent placement home, and I was there for two years. When I was going on 13 years old, my birth aunt and my birth uncle stepped up and said that they wanted to adopt my younger brother and I. So I moved in with them and it was going great. We were getting to know one another, we would do everything together, we went to church together, we would do Bible time together and we would read the word as a family and then things went for a turn really quickly. Um, Right around my thirteenth birthday, my uncle began to sexually abuse me. And for me, that was the most traumatic experience because at this point I was in foster care, I knew that the things that I went through was wrong and that I shouldn't have experienced those things. And so to experience him again, I felt like that was what I was made for, that sexual abuse was something that I was destined to continue to live because it continued to follow me. I had to question God like how is there a God in heaven? but allow something like this to happen Because of the abuse that I experienced in that home, I went back into foster care and that's where I met my forever family. I was at an event and I gravitated towards a family uh, where there was six children and two parents and I decided that I wanted to hang out with them and get to know them a little more. I started getting invited to family events that they had um, and I got invited to spending weekends with them and so they were making trips out to pick me up. After a couple months of spending time with them, the mom and dad picked me up and took me out to Cold Stone um, and, and asked me to be a part of their family. When I joined my forever family, my parents were offered a journal that had everything that I had ever done in it. And my parents turned it down. They wanted to give me the opportunity to start in a new area and not have what was placed upon me still weighing over me. And for me, that was really big because I decided to look at God with the same eyes to wipe the slate clean, to give him a new start, and give him opportunities to show me who he truly is in a home that is Christian as well. Some of the challenges that we faced as a family was my troubles to submit to authority. My mom and I would butt heads a lot and we would get into arguments. And from the trauma that I experienced in the past, a lot of my trauma came from my birth mom. And so for me to know that there's a mom in my life now, it was really hard for me to connect with her. In my five years of being adopted, um, it took four years for me to let my mom in, to let her close and near to the intimate places of my heart. And it took a really hard experience for me to say, okay, I need a mom to teach me what it means to be a godly woman. And so by making that decision, my mom and I have been working on healing and building an intimate and close relationship. As I continue to walk through healing, it's just so wonderful to know that I have a family that's walking alongside me and have that assurance that I'm not alone.
0: You know, Cassie's story happened right here in the Bay Area. And unfortunately, we know that her story is not an uncommon one. In fact, every single year, thousands of kids in the Bay Area enter into the foster care system, many of them having very similar stories as Cassie. And what's, what's even more heartbreaking to me is that every year in every single county in the Bay Area, children in foster care have to be displaced from their cities and from their counties simply due to a shortage of foster homes. If you feel like your heart is stirring and you want to get involved, you want to learn more about how you might be able to make a difference in the life of a person like Cassie and learn more about how you can become a foster parent or a support friend. You just want to know how you can be praying, what you can do. I want to encourage you to take a step. Your next step would be to attend an interest meeting. These are no commitment, informational meetings that we have happening all the time. Just like everything else in the world right now, they're even virtual. And so you can join right from your own home. I want to invite you to take the next step and simply go to fosterthebay.org. Again, that's fosterthebay.org and RSVP for one of our upcoming informational meetings. Again, you can make a difference in the life of a a child like Cassie. That brings me to my my third and my final point, and that's this. Uh, Jesus tells us what the impact will be in our communities if we say yes to this invitation. In verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, listen, we know that in that time it was pretty rare that a city would actually be built on a hill. It was much more common for cities and towns and villages to be uh, built down in the valleys or uh, down by the rivers. It was much less expensive that way. But in the rare occasion when a city would actually be built on a hill, at nighttime, when the the, the torches and the, the lanterns were all lit up, all across the city, that city would be seen by all of the other towns and villages for miles and miles and miles around. So listen, I think that this is what Jesus might be saying. I think he might be saying, it matters what you do as an individual. Yes, as an individual, I'm calling you to be salt and light. But what I'm also calling you to be is like a city. If there is a group of you collectively shining your light, it's, your impact is gonna be so much stronger and it's gonna be so much more visible to a watching world. We can do a lot as an individual, but we can do so much more together. We've seen this really powerfully with Foster the Bay. Um, in fact, one of the reasons why there's such a shortage of foster homes really across the country uh, is because retention of foster parents is really low. There's a study just came out last year that said that about 60% of foster families won't make it past their first year. Six, after, 60% will drop out after year one because it's really hard. But do you know what changes that retention? Do you know what enables a foster family to foster longer and better? Is if that foster family takes their journey within the context of a community. If they have other people supporting them, taking that journey with them, helping to bear the burdens and share the joys. So maybe your role today isn't necessarily to open up your home to a child in foster care. I do believe that's what God might be calling some of you to do. But maybe another role for you to play is what we call a support friend. Our hope is that every church that we partner with would raise up at least one new foster family with a team of four support friends. A support friend is somebody who cares every bit as much for vulnerable children as a foster parent. It's just that maybe in this season of their life they're not able to open up their home right now. And so a support friend comes alongside and, and, and brings meals or babysits on a regular basis or uh, sends encouraging texts. My wife and I, as we're fostering, we have a support friend that sends a cleaner to our house every month as a way to support us. It's awesome. Um, Maybe the best way for you to get involved is to come around and support a foster family. We can't all do the same thing, but we can all do something. Let me close with this. In verse 16 here in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen. Listen. When the watching world looks into your church, and when and when the watching world looks into your home, this is my prayer. When they look into your homes and into your lives, my prayer is that when they see the way that you are engaging your neighbors. The way that you're showing hospitality to your neighbors. That when they see the way that you work, when they see the, the way you spend your money, when they see the way that you invest your time and your resources, when they see the way that you are not running from things that are broken, but the way that you're running into things that are broken, the way that you're living your life, that they would marvel and that they would wonder and that ultimately the watching world would see that the source of your light, the true light of the world, that they would see Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person that's listening to this message today, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that you have given to each and every one of us, God, to partner with you in bringing your light and your healing and your wholeness and your hope to the Bay Area. Thank you for the gift of being able to uh, uh, partner with you in this. What an incredible privilege that this is. We recognize and we thank you for what you have done for us on the cross, that you lay down your life for us, that we might be invited into your family. Now, God, I pray that you would help us to do the same for others. Would we spend our life inviting others, God, into your love and your compassion? God, for every person that's listening today, I pray that you would give them clarity and that you would give them courage to follow your leadership now as you call us into a life of compassion. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.